Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet Him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey in Sabbath, just that is, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb had raised him and raised him from the dead continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this son. Then the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Terry. So we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to ask for some participation. Okay, I know that's not our norm. That's all right. I mean, other than reading stuff off the screen. Um, shout out some, what are some things you can't live without? Just go ahead. What's something you can't live without? Barbecue. I hear that. <laughs> you got my heart in your hand, man. <laughs> Water, air, family. Family. Anything else? Yeah, just something you can't live without? Chocolate. Jesus. Man, you like preempting me. The pastor over here is like, <laughs> coffee, <laughs> coffee. <laughs> there are probably a lot of things you can say you can't live without. It's, it's a phrase. It's a phrase we use. It's a phrase we throw around about a lot of stuff: coffee, chocolate, um, certain relationships, barbecue, which I hear my heart is there. Um, as a good Tennessean, I have to agree. Um, and then the fact is, like Prentice just said, most of the things we'd say we can't live without, we actually could, right? Obviously, water, air, shelter, these are basic human needs. Relationships, basic human needs. We can't live without those things. But as we, as we look at the text today and as we consider Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, there is one thing in this world that we truly, absolutely cannot live without. And as my brother Nathan just said, his name is Jesus. We have no life apart from him. That's going to sound really harsh to everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus, everybody who doesn't follow him. And yet, as Christians, we cannot call ourselves Christians if we deny that there is true and lasting and eternal life only in Jesus Christ. And it's a life that only he can give. And only he does give. Because only he can resurrect the dead. Only Jesus, God in the flesh, can resurrect our dead and dying hearts. And so today we, we see this entry into Jerusalem coming right on the heels of Jesus' greatest miracle, the raising of 
Lazarus. And so we're going to get into that a little bit as we set the stage. So what's happening here is we're in John chapter 12. And by this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus has been traveling around. He's been teaching. He's been leading. He's been acquiring disciples and training up his apostles to speak on his behalf and to go and tell people about him to carry on the work after he is gone which he knows is coming in just a couple of chapters he's going to have a really long conversation with his disciples and he's going to let them know hey i'm going and i am going very soon and you're going to have to carry on this work without me only i'm going to send you a helper i'm going to send you the holy spirit but here he's preparing them for his exit and he's staying in the city this town called Bethany. So we've got, we got to do a little geography. Stick with me. It's important. You've got Jerusalem. I should have put a map up there. Um, you've got Jerusalem. And just to the east of Jerusalem is the Jordan River. It's about eight miles or so away. The city of Jericho sits right on the Jordan River just east of Jerusalem. And as you move from Jericho up to Jerusalem, you're moving up in elevation. The Jordan River sits way down low in elevation, so you've got a pretty pretty steep climb of those eight miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. So you're moving up. You're always going up to Jerusalem from any direction. That's the whole idea. Jerusalem's built on a hill, and the Temple Mount is at the highest point of the city. So anytime you're going to the temple, you're moving up. And this is Passover season. This is the biggest festival of the year, the biggest feast of the year for faithful Jews. This city of a couple hundred thousand will swell to more than two and a half million at Passover season. Jews are coming from all over the Roman world to celebrate the Passover. And as they come in, they're all going up to the temple. They're all going up to Jerusalem. And as they go up, they sing the Hallel, Psalms 113 to 118. And so you can just imagine hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people crowding the streets, singing together in chorus these psalms of praise to God as they go up to the temple to meet with their God at Passover. This is the most joyous time in the city of Jerusalem, but it can also be the most chaotic. We've got all these people coming in. And so Jesus has done this. Jesus has traveled with his disciples. They've come from Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee in the north, and they've traveled down along the Jordan River to Jericho, and then they've made that hard right turn to go west to Jerusalem. And as they're going up, they begin to crest what's called the Mount of Olives. And just before the Mount of Olives is the town of Bethany. And in Bethany, there's a family that's close to Jesus, a family that he loves. And in this household, there's Martha, and there's Mary, and there's their brother Lazarus. Now, it's probably that they live with their father in the city of Bethany. And these girls are not terribly old. Lazarus isn't terribly old, but they've somehow come to know Jesus and befriend him. And so Jesus has come up to Bethany, and as he was on his way, he learned that Lazarus had died. They get word that Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, has died, and Jesus waits to go to visit the home of Lazarus. And when he finally gets to Bethany and finds Lazarus dead, Mary and Martha approach him and they say, Master, 
Our brother's been sick for some time. If you had been here earlier, he would not have died. Because as it is, he's been dead three days. And Jesus says, nothing's beyond the power of God. Do you believe this? And Martha says, I believe it if you say it. And so Jesus marches over to the tomb of Lazarus. It wouldn't have been far from the family home. He travels over to the tomb of Lazarus. And there at the tomb of Lazarus, with no fanfare, with no preparation, with no spells cast, Jesus stands in front of this tomb and says, okay, roll away the stone, and then says in his most commanding voice, Lazarus, come out. And that boy walks out. And this is the event that gets Jesus' name on the lips of all those millions of people in Jerusalem. Word about this spreads everywhere because as much as Jesus has raised people from the dead before, he's never done it three days after someone is in the tomb. According to the, the thinking of the time and the theology of the time, if a resurrection was going to happen, you had a three-day window. Now, it wasn't like these people just believed that anybody would be resurrected at any time. But they thought, if a resurrection was going to happen, you had three days to do it. But on that third day, it was impossible. After that third day, you were done. There was no chance of it. And so Jesus coming in and saying, Lazarus, come out. Three days after the boy had been in that tomb, was a sign to everybody, this guy's something different. He's not just some miracle worker we've seen before. He's not just some leader or rabbi that we've seen before. This guy commands death in a way we've never seen. He commands life. From this man's lips, life flows. And that's the word that begins to spread around the community and among all these pilgrims that have gathered in Jerusalem. So the next day, Jesus is going into Jerusalem for the first day of the Passover feast. And as he's going in, just like they've all been doing as they walk into Jerusalem, they're singing the Hallel. They're singing these psalms of praise. And Jesus gets to the top of the Mount of Olives, and there he, he gets onto a donkey. And from Mount of Olives, you can see the temple. You can see right across the Kidron Valley. So you've got the, the Mount of Olives is here, and then you go down a hill into the Kidron Valley, across a stream, and then you go up into the golden gate of the temple, into the eastern gate of the temple. And from that gate in Jerusalem, you enter directly into the temple courts. There's no, you don't go to another part of the city. You come right in, which is why it's called the Golden Gate. It's a beautiful gate in the city walls that leads right into the temple. And it's very popular to enter by that way. So you don't have to navigate the city at all. You go straight into the temple. And so Jesus is on this little donkey, and he's riding down the Mount of Olives. And as he's going, there are people on either side of the street, and they're singing this Hallel. They're singing these praises. And they see him coming, and they hear the word, that's the guy who raised Lazarus. That's the guy who commands life. And the people turn, and on the testimony of the people around them, they get excited. This guy is something special. This guy is somebody different. And so they turn, and they look at him. And instead now of singing the Hallel toward God as they're entering the temple, they're singing the Hallel to Jesus. Now that's shocking. We miss it because we, we think of Jesus as king. We think of Jesus as Messiah. But for these people in this time to turn their worship from God in the temple to this man on a donkey 
is blasphemy. It's blasphemous what they're doing unless the guy riding that donkey truly is who they think he is. Truly is God in the flesh. Truly is the one worthy of their worship. Now there's something else going on here. You see, again, our historical distance kind of messes us up. Not long before this event, just 30 or so years before this event, the king of the region, Archelaus, had had 40 people burned, 40 Jews burned outside the temple. Because when Archelaus's dad, King Herod the Great, had refurbished the temple and rebuilt it, he put a Roman eagle over the entrance to the temple. Just so that you knew when you were coming to worship that you may be worshiping your little God, but Rome really runs this place. And so some Jewish folks got mad about that. Said that that's not faithful. Rome is not above our God. And so they took the Roman eagle down and destroyed it. Archelaus got mad and so he sentenced 40 of them to burn. And of course this didn't go over well with faithful Jews in the region. So the next year at Passover, people had gathered, these thousands and thousands and millions of people had gathered, and in all of their fervor and in their anger about what Archelaus had done the year before, now they have a riot. And Archelaus sends his troops in to quell the riot and kills 3,000 Jews within the temple gates. 30 years before these events, this is what happens. And you've got to think, that's fresh. I was thinking the other day, that, you know, 9-11 was 21 years ago. But for those of us who were there, who were not there, but who were around at the time and aware and present, it's like it was yesterday. We can remember, any one of you who were, who were aware at the time can remember exactly where you were when you heard the plane hit the building. You can remember exactly where you were when the news came. And that was 21 years ago. This event was only 30 years before. This is fresh in the minds of people. And every year at Passover, as they're gathered in millions, the Jewish folks, the, the really zealous among them, are like, maybe this is your Messiah. Maybe this is the year we get free. Maybe this is the year our Savior shows up. Maybe God will free us from Rome this year. And so every year they're energetic. Every year there's this, there's this expectation. So you combine that, that fervent expectation, now with a guy who just raised a kid after he'd been dead three days, and the folks are like, yep, here he is. That's our guy. There's Jesus. And so they begin to lay palm branches in front of him. Now, a little more history. One more history lesson here, okay? They're laying palm branches in front of him. This is a reminder of what happened 200 years earlier when a family called the Maccabees rose up in Jerusalem. You see, the Jewish people, Israel, had been under the thumb of a different empire at the time. And this family, this Maccabee family, rose up, and they led a revolt against the Hasmonean dynasty, against their rulers. And they won. And so when, when they put palm branches down, there's nothing in the Bible that says they do that for you know, honoring somebody. That's in memory of the revolt of the Maccabees. When the Jewish people got their freedom. And so when they lay the palm branches down in front of Jesus on this donkey, they're saying, you're him. You're like the Maccabees. You're going to raise us up. We're going to be free of Rome. 
And so all of this is coming together in one big soup of fervor. And that's what the people are praising Jesus about. That's why they're excited about Jesus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He looks like a leader. He looks like he's the guy who's come to lead us. Only there's one problem with all this. Jesus is ready to go. Jesus comes as the king, not with sword in hand, not with laurel wreath around his head. Jesus comes not as the conquering hero, but he's riding a donkey. And a young donkey at that. Like one that can just barely hold his weight. Just imagine there's this little bitty donkey. And Jesus is riding on this donkey through the streets. And he, he doesn't look like a, a general. He doesn't look like a Maccabee. He's not brandishing weapons. He comes as this king of peace. And we read in John that this is a fulfillment of this prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. Now in Zechariah 9, the prophet, who is the mouthpiece of God. Back in these days, you had prophets who, they spoke for God. That's what a prophet does. prophet does not tell the future. A prophet speaks the words of God. And God can tell the future through a prophet, but a prophet just speaks whatever God says. And so back in Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah had said, Behold your king riding on the foal, the colt of a donkey. And he's writing this, he's saying this to the people of God who have been under the thumb of God's judgment. These people had been misbehaving. They had not been living according to God's standard. They had been abusing people and oppressing people, and they had been worshiping other gods. And so they've been living under God's judgment for their waywardness, for their sin. But in Zechariah 9.9, the prophet gets to say, Behold, your king is coming. Your God is coming to you. Only when he comes, he's not riding a war horse of judgment. He's riding a donkey of peace. He's going to restore you from the judgment you were under. He's going to restore you from the sin that you had been living in. And he's going to lead you into fullness. He's going to restore your land and give you peace and drive out the oppressors. And he's going to make you a peaceful kingdom. And so when Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, he is the God who's come riding in peace. Riding not in judgment over people's sin, but coming in in peace. And when people see this and think back to what Zechariah said, they think the day of our vindication has come. The day of our peace has come. The day that our king has promised has come to give us peace. No more to drive out the oppressors. Now, just later that same day, they're going to get a rude awakening. And Jesus rides in on this donkey, which says, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to restore you. Later that day, Jesus will drive the money changers out of town. Later that same day, Jesus will take a whip into the court of the Gentiles, the big court in the outside of the temple. And he'll say, you're robbing my people. And he's going to pass judgment on the temple. He's going to pass judgment on the religious leaders. They think he's there to pass judgment on the Romans. They think he's there to pass judgment on the oppressors. They think he's there to pass judgment on all the non-Jewish people. But later that same day, Jesus will pass judgment on the very leadership of the nations. 
as though to say, it's not the Romans who are causing the lack of peace. It's you religious folk who think you're good, who think you're doing God's work, and you're leading people astray. You're robbing my people. And so Jesus rides in on this donkey to bring peace and restoration, not to the religious system of good, but to the very people who most desperately need his forgiveness, his love, his care. The Gentiles, the sinners, the broken ones, the Jews who weren't faithful. It's, it's funny this happens on Passover because, you know, today we have Christmas and Easter Christians, right? You have people who are only, only darken the door of a church two times a year, Christmas and Easter. And in, the, in this day, it wasn't so different. You had Passover-only Jews. You had feast-only Jews. The only time they were really faithful was at feast times because it was like a week-long party and then I get my sins forgiven and then I can go live as I want and come back. And the same mentality has crept into the church. The same mentality is here today. Whether We've got Christians or people who think they're Christians who come only on a couple special occasions. And Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on Passover for those people. To bring freedom for those people. He's coming to call them and to say, it's not your day of judgment, it is your day of freedom. You've been led astray by this system. You've been led astray by these religious leaders who are all about their power and wealth. You've been led astray by all of this stuff that you've been living into. He's coming to bring freedom for them. For the very ones that the religious leaders would say, you're not worth it. You're outside of it. God's grace doesn't extend to you. Jesus has come for those CNE people. He's come for those Passover only Jews. He's come for those Gentiles who are outside of God's salvation according to the system. That's what this donkey means. It means peace for the enemies of God. The very people that the religious leaders wanted killed, wanted driven out, wanted destroyed. And I ask you on this Palm Sunday, who would you be happy to see go to hell? there are people. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I know it. There are people we can imagine. Maybe you wouldn't think that with literal words. Maybe you wouldn't say that with your mouth. And then your attitude toward them says that. The ways that we exclude ways that we turn people off, the ways that we hold on to bitterness in our hearts communicates, you're not worthy. You're not worth my time. You're not worthy of God's grace. Those are the people Jesus came to. Those are the people this donkey is for. And those people are you and me. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. This donkey is for you. This donkey is for me promise of peace from our God. The promise that I am laying aside my judgment. I am not bringing the war horse against you. I am not here to destroy you, but to restore you, to forgive you, and to draw you in. But well, we got to go one step further than the donkey. Because here at the end, we, we read, just like I said earlier, that these people are gathered because Jesus had raised Lazarus from 
these people are gathered because Jesus had done something that was inconceivable in the mind of anybody at that Passover feast. Jesus had walked up to a grave with a three-day-old body in it and said, come out, and it happened. Jesus isn't just the king who rides in on the donkey of peace. Jesus is the king who comes in to bring life where there is death. And that is the true testimony of Jesus Christ. That here is the king, the one and only king who can bestow upon dead people new life. The one and only God who can resurrect from the dead, physically and spiritually. You want to know what you can't live without? You can't live without the resurrection that Jesus gives. You can't live without the life that Jesus gives. We cannot live without him because in our natural state, in the state of our birth, we are all in the tomb with Lazarus. Spiritually, we are all dead apart from the life that Jesus gives. We can't seek him. We can't work ourselves into God's grace. We can't perform well enough to be adopted by God. Apart from Jesus' act of resurrection, we have no life. Jesus is our king of life. Jesus is the one who comes to resurrect dead hearts and souls. Apart from him, we cannot know life. I can't live without him. I can't live without him, and I don't want to. Only he can give that life. But you see what happens after he resurrects somebody. Look at what happens here at the end of our passage. In these last verses, before we move on, we read that the story had been going around that Jesus had raised Lazarus. And because of this testimony, there was a new energy and enthusiasm in the people. Because of this testimony, we read at the end where the Pharisees are looking at each other and saying, hey, your plan didn't work. Everybody's following him. Everybody wants to know Jesus because of the testimony of the life that Jesus gives. And that's exactly how it works today. If we are followers of Jesus, if we've received the life that he has to give, if we have been resurrected from the dead, we have a testimony. We dare not quiet. We dare not shut it down. Because it is that testimony of the life and resurrection that Jesus gives that will change people. It's the testimony of the resurrection that Jesus brings that will cause others to look on him and say, I want to follow that king. I want to lay my palm branches down before him. I want to sing my songs of praise to him because only he can give that kind of life. And it doesn't matter if you were born into the church or you have some really dramatic story of being saved and redeemed and liberated. Whatever your story with Jesus is, you have a testimony of resurrection that God will use to draw people to Jesus. Church, we're to be the people on the side of the road everybody being cheering them on to worship Jesus. 
couple weeks ago, we got to go to the Cherry Creek Young Life Banquet. Young Life is a ministry in the school system. Um, they reach out to youth, middle school, from college. It's a great ministry. Look it up, Young Life. All you got to do is Google Young Life, and you'll see it. Um, it's a great ministry. And so we get to support uh, the Cherry Creek School District Young Life Program. So we were at the banquet. And uh, one of the things that I both love and makes me really uncomfortable going is that when you go to the banquet initially, a bunch of the students that they serve, like dozens of the students that they serve, line up on either the hall that gets you to the banquet hall, and they're just cheering and clapping and excited to see you there. And I don't like that, because as much as I do this, I don't love the attention of it, right? But that's how I imagine the people on the street that day as Jesus is going into Jerusalem, right? Just like these high school students, right? They're cheering, and they're excited and they're enthused a few weeks ago I, I kind of downplayed hype culture in the church because we act like we got to be hyped about Jesus all the time but I did say in that moment there are times and places for it and this is one of them to be enthusiastic about Jesus to be enthusiastic about the life that he has to give church followers of Jesus we ought to be the cheerleaders for everybody in our lives we ought to be those people those kids in that hallway or these people on the side of the road worshiping Jesus and cheering each other on toward him. If you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story of resurrection that needs to be shared. You have a story of resurrection that your friends and your family who don't know Jesus need to hear. You have a story of resurrection that you can turn into a cheering cry for the people in your life. Don't hide it. Don't quiet it. Church, I want to be a church that's excited about Jesus, whose enthusiasm about him cannot be squashed, cannot be put down, because I recognize that it is our testimony of the resurrection of Jesus in our lives and in the lives of the people that we know that will change the world, that will bring new life where there is death that will bring justice where there is injustice, that will bring peace where there is conflict, that will bring shalom to a broken world. That's why we exist. That's why Christ's community church is here. That's why the church of Jesus is here in the world. To point to Jesus and worship him and to cheer everyone else on toward him. To enthusiastically Go out and let everybody know about the life that he's given us. That's why we exist. That's why you have a testimony. That's why you have a word to share. And it's only through sharing that word that we'll see the kingdom of God come right here in our little corner of the city. We'll see the transformation of peace. That's what we're So today, if you don't know Jesus, you haven't experienced this resurrection, no, he is the only one who can revive your life. He is the only one who can give you the eternal life that you so crave, and I know you do. And if you're a follower of Jesus, don't let anyone quietly testify. You have a story of resurrection you have a story to tell, and it is that story that God will use 
to bring life into death, to bring light into darkness. Jesus, you are the King of life. You are the life giver. You are the Lord of all the earth. And today, Lord, in humility, we do. We lay down ourselves before you. As we're about to sing, Lord, we lay our crowns before you and say, you are the one king. You are the master of all. You are the Lord of life. You can raise that boy after three days in the tomb, and you can raise this dead heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would embolden our testimony today as Christ Community Church, as followers of Jesus, as your people. I pray that you would embolden us to speak the good news of Jesus and to speak resurrection into death, to speak light into darkness, to speak peace into conflict, to speak shalom into brokenness, just as you've done for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.